Hello and welcome to Inside Indie Ref, the new series of podcasts with key players on both sides of the independence referendum debate, which aims to cut through the campaign waffle and find out what they're really thinking about the big issues. It's brought to you by Message Matters and hosted by me, Peter Duncan. And me, Andy McKeever, and we're going to be in coffee shops and cafes throughout Scotland with a laptop, a microphone, a 15-minute egg timer and a key referendum campaigner. You'll find us on Twitter at Inside Indie Ref and of course on messagematters.co.uk. So let's go to this week's podcast. Welcome everybody to this the fifth Inside Indie Ref podcast. This week we're in very sunny Edinburgh with Patrick Harvey. Patrick Harvey who has just reminded us that we have not turned the famous egg timer. So that's a, a, point, a point to Patrick straight away. Um, we are in the Asti Cafe in Edinburgh. Um, and we're here with Patrick Harvey, as I said, the leader, co-convener of the Scottish Green Party and active participant in the radical independence movement. Um, the first question this week is going to Mr Duncan. Patrick, nice to see you. Thanks for dropping in. Thanks for um, having me. It, it, I mean, last week we had another Jean-Claude Juncker intervention um, and the, the usual spat on either side um, of he said, she said and actually the other side are wrong and then let's just move on to another debate. Yeah. I think two, two things come to mind which maybe talk about. Firstly, how are we going to get into some of the detail of, of, of these kind of issues when it gets very he said, she said the debate seems to be getting less detailed rather than more. And then secondly, what do you think are the opportunities for for the Greens, given that you have a slightly different angle on Europe to your Yes Scotland allies and the SNP? Well, I think first of all, the closer we get to the, the referendum, uh, the more the, the arguments may come down to simple positions and in some ways to, to the emotional mood of, of the electorate rather than to ever a more detailed analysis of the uh, kind of statistical or factual or legal arguments. Yeah. It's pretty clear that you know there has been no space for uh, the European uh, official European institutions to start to engage with the question about Scotland's independence. If the UK government had been willing to go alongside the Scottish government and begin a formal negotiation process in advance, we might be in a different place. But there's no way that uh, you know the Commission or the, uh, you know, the presidency or the, any of the institutional figures are going to come out and say one way or the other what they think of the Scottish independence today. And the closer the, to the referendum we get, the more anxious they'll be not to say anything which could be misinterpreted as as Mr. Juncker was recently. Um, but you know, in reality, because the decision about Scotland's membership of the EU would be as much political as legal, probably more political than legal to be honest, we just need to remember that there are very few voices across the European political spectrum who would not want to see Scotland as a as a member if we'd been if there'd been a yes vote. You know, my, my colleagues in the Green movement across Europe, for example, are not going to come out and say, yes, Scotland should vote for independence. They're going to wait and see the result. Yeah. But they would certainly not want to see Scotland cease to be a member of the EU. Uh, it cease to be a part of the EU's territory. So I think that would be the, the case across the, the spectrum. And just as before German reunification, there were lots of voices going around saying, oh, it would be terribly dangerous, it would be terribly difficult, it would be a legal nightmare, it, it would take years to, to work it through. 
I, and hard. once the mandate existed, it was done in short order. Yeah, as pragmatic you, as, solutions. As you imply, like I mean, at its heart, Europe's quite a pragmatic institution. Mm. It, it, it tries to make things work. And it's inherently expansionist. Uh, you know, it, that may be a slower process now for genuinely new applicants, but it's not going to want to see part of Europe cease to be part of the EU. Yeah. And what, what, what then about the, the is, is there a political opportunity in Europe for, for the Greens when you, you know, you, you had a, what was commonly conceived to be a pretty positive European campaign without actually securing that, that seat? There must be an opportunity for you to portray a different line on Europe to the extent well, yeah, and uh, you know, we had a, a, a bittersweet feeling about the European election result. It was the best result that we'd ever had, but yeah. just by a whisker, it wasn't quite enough to, uh, you know, stop the pantomime Barry from getting in. You know, um, was it frustrating for you how the nationalists betrayed that last week? Was that a frustration? Well, I mean, at one level, it's predictable that lots of people will go around saying, "Vote for us. We're the only way to stop X, Y, or Z bad thing happening." Uh, yeah, it was pretty clear that ourselves and the third SNP candidate were about as far away as each other from preventing UKIP from taking that sixth seat. We were, we were you know, both about was it about thirty thousand votes short of it across the whole of Scotland, which is which is frustratingly close, but uh, you know, no no cigar on this occasion. It's always it struck me the whole EU. You know, coming back to the referendum, the whole EU issue has always struck me as something that I do wonder whether the Yes campaign in hindsight will think they might have handled it differently. Because if you look at the two of the issues that have caused the probably the biggest problems for the Yes camp have been the EU membership issue and the currency issue as well. Um, are those things which in hindsight might have merited an additional referendum after the first referendum about whether or not Scotland wants to leave the UK? You know, would it have been actually easier for the Yes campaign to say, look, these are big constitutional issues, people need a vote on those issues, and that will be a vote that will happen afterwards? Or do you just not think that was well, politically sellable to leave that no, issue I mean, open? The, whatever the polls say, it's, it's pretty clear that the politics of Scotland on the European question are very different from the rest of the UK. I mean, UKIP did do well enough in Scotland to... Uh, you know, get ten percent or thereabouts to take one seat. They did not win the European election in Scotland in the way that they did across the rest of the UK. There is no groundswell of opposition to membership of the EU that I can perceive in Scotland. Uh, in fact, the Curtis only Curtis prominent Poland has it at about sort of twenty odd percent. John Curtis Poland, but then quite a lot, quite which, a big percentage of for looking for powers to be repatriated a little bit as well. Which is well, I mean, there is a, an ongoing debate within and between EU member countries about the future of the EU. What does ever closer union mean inside the Eurozone and what does it mean outside the Eurozone for the countries that are in the EU but not in the Euro and with no interest in, in joining the Euro? Um, so that, that question about the, the degree of, of political integration that will be required you know, on those two different levels, that's still an open question. And uh, I think it's fine to have that debate about you know, whether you want to repatriate powers, whether we could work more closely together in certain areas. Closer cooperation on the uh, corporation tax, for example, could close down the loopholes. Uh, now, that's not something that Alex Salmond and John Swinney would want to be pushing, but somebody should. Uh, the rest of Europe is debating a, a common consolidated corporate tax base. Not necessarily the same corporation tax rate in every member state, 
but an inbuilt incentive for governments not to compete with each other for cutting to ever lower rates and a, a clear uh, you know, attempt to close down the loopholes for companies simply rebadging their profits and pretending that they're, they're in a low tax zone when in fact they're, they're elsewhere. So that kind of cooperation could do a great deal to close down the, the loopholes that just people have been right, rightly angry about. Yeah. If just before we move on, just on the, on the, the, the sort of big constitutional issues, the post-yes constitutional issues, as it were, do you think there is scope, realistically, for, let's say, a movement to... Um, a Republican movement, for instance, post-Indirect. Oh, it's pretty who clear says, that like, you know, it's nuts to have the Queen as head of state and a, and a, new, and a new state, it's ridiculous, it's like anachronistic, let's, let's change that. Is that... Is the appetite for that going to exist or will it all be too soon after a vote where you've actually voted to keep her well, as no, part of the... Uh, well, no, nobody is being asked whether they want to keep the monarchy. That's not on the ballot paper. The question on the ballot paper is should Scotland be an independent country? And it's pretty clear from the Scottish Government's uh, proposal on a, 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 an interim constitutional draft. Uh, I'll be responding in, in full to that in the near future, but it's pretty clear that they envisage uh, constitutional convention coming together after the 2016 election actually I think it could could and should begin earlier than that mm. uh, to you know we're, we're likely to see a bigger turnout in this referendum than we've seen in elections for a very long time I want to keep hold of that energy I want to keep people connected to the process and the constitutional convention or something similar I think should begin fairly soon after the referendum if there's, if there's a year to it. but their view is the Constitutional Convention, whenever it happens, should debate the fuller, permanent, written Constitution. And at that point, of course, you have to be debating how you appoint the head of state. What a head of state actually is. Do you want a head of state with any executive powers at all? Uh, yeah, and I would, I would consider the signing of legislation into law as an executive power. Or do you want a purely ceremonial head of state? You know, how expensive should a head of state's office be? Let's face it, elected head of states are a damn sight cheaper uh, than a, 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 a wealthy family as a, as a monarchy. We're paying a great deal for that pretty minimal function at the moment that the state is getting from. So obviously there has to be space for, for that debate. It becomes bizarre to write a constitution and not even to be willing to question uh, what the role of head of state means and how they're appointed. Let's uh, let's move on. We're, we're, as we battle against buses and coffee machines, let's move uh, on to let's just stay on the topic of what might happen afterwards. More specifically to the Greens rather than to um, other constitutional issues. It, it, it does appear to me that the Greens have made a movement over the last several years from being the environmental party to being a party which um, is quite focused on um, what you might call radical socialism. There are a lot of terms we might use for it, but the, but that that sort of agenda and obviously a nationalist agenda as well. Is that um, is that a temporary move because of the referendum, or do you think that the Greens are almost becoming a, a kind of post-environmental movement where the environmental side of it is taken for granted, but there becomes a much more cohesive policy platform around the, uh, a sort of radical socialist agenda? Well, I don't describe myself as a socialist or a nationalist. Uh, I don't think I need to. I think what I need to do is convey more successfully than perhaps we've done in the past what green politics is really about. And I'm certainly not a post-environmentalist. Uh, I mean, green politics begins with a recognition that there are limits uh, within this world, that we have one finite planet, uh, that there are limits to growth. It's an old phrase. It went out of fashion. But it's clear from the, the, the scientific and economic modelling that's become possible in the last few years 
that there are fundamental limits to growth and when you breach them you start to pay the cost and it tends to be the people who haven't benefited from the economic activity who bear the brunt of the, the social and environmental costs of breaching those, those limits whether that's around climate whether it's around energy systems whether it's around pollution over harvesting islandization of habitats degradation of habitats the, the whole range of uh, uh, even the nitrogen cycle, the, the whole range of, of environmental limits that we're currently living beyond. Uh, we can't do that forever. Now, from our point of view, from most of our points of view, that leads you to argue for smaller scale units. There are many reasons why we think smaller scale units can be uh, more successful at making the transition to sustainability. That tends to be the reason why Greens who support independence reach that view. Uh, they look at Scotland and they see a small country that needs to speed its transition away from economic dependence on oil, for example. Hence your localist agenda as opposed to the what very, some might see as a more centralist agenda of the SNP, for instance. Very much so. And I think actually the, the question about local government, local participation, local decision making is one that's going to have to come onto the 2016 election agenda irrespective of the outcome of the, the independence referendum. I think all political parties are recognising now that we don't have local government in this country. We've got regional service delivery agencies that happen to have some elected members who have to carry the can of the cuts that are forced upon them but don't get to make any actual economic policy choices of their own. It was one of the things actually we spoke about with um, Mike Moore um, after his speech in Glasgow when he talked about devolution 3.0 and a need for further devolution but also a need for de you know, real devolution to communities and actually you know, the Scottish Parliament needs to move beyond wanting powers for itself but also being willing to pass on powers Absolutely. to councils and to local areas. Absolutely. Do, do, you, do you think there's a, there's a, is there an opportunity for you in that world after an independence referendum, whether the result is yes or no, that, deci that well, decision will be taken and we'll move to a degree we'll move on for it. Is there an opportunity for you to exploit the large number of people who have now identified themselves as SNP, who may actually post independence referendum when that issue will be settled, be looking for a new political alliance and maybe the Greens are part of that solution? Um, I think we've so far been having quite a good referendum in terms of the party's interest. Not just using the referendum as a platform to get new ideas onto the agenda and debating, but also using the referendum as a moment to build energy within the party. The, you know, in, in many ways, the, the early years of, of devolution were uh, kind of a distraction from the, the party's developmental agenda. Mm -hmm. you know, we had this national platform uh, from 1999 onwards, we've always had a presence in the Scottish Parliament and we had these big regional elections to, to contest those, those regional seats. And that kind of distracted us from building the kind of ward by ward, street by street, local campaigning base right. that Green Party of England and Wales has had to develop in places like Brighton and Norwich and Oxford and bits of London and uh, some of the, the North West in particular. Uh, has come along So whereas whilst the Parliament's been an opportunity, to a degree it's been a distraction. It's been an opportunity but it's also slightly skewed our, our development mm. and in the last four or five years we've been focused much more on building branch capacity and campaigning culture and the independence referendum has allowed us to connect that to far more people who might not previously have thought of the Green Party. So the membership has, has gone up hugely just in the last few months 
uh, and we're, we're turning that into campaigning culture. And where it's worked, it's been paying off. That's why we doubled our number of councillors in Edinburgh at the last local government election. That's why we started to get our first foot in the door in several other councils where that campaigning culture is starting to take root. But we need to focus on, on carrying that on up to the 2016 election and beyond. Uh, because without big multi-millionaire donors, uh, without uh, you know the, the scale of a campaign machine that, for example, the SNP have, we've got a lot of work to do to reach the voters that I think of as, as latent no, green no voters. Lottery winners. No lottery winners. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I'll keep you posted. As a perfect pro, Patrick finishes as the last grain of sand falls from the timer. <laughs> but we're actually not quite finished yet because what we didn't tell Patrick before is that we always do a cheeky question at the end where we uh, ask his prediction for the independence referendum vote in terms of the percentage <laughs> vote that the Yes campaign will achieve on polling day. What I do you think, Patrick? have an absolutely dreadful track record of political <laughs> betting. Uh, That's um, fine. I've, had, uh, I've, I've only had one referendum dream so far where uh, the count was going on and it was taking all night uh, and we lost it but only narrowly in that dream. Uh, I don't. I don't count that as a prediction. Um, and uh, yeah, I. I honestly think it could be very, very close. I think the closer we get, the, the kind of people who are still undecided, I tend to hear from them things like, obviously it'd be good if we could, but, or I'd like to think we were independent. If. And I think a lot of those people who are still undecided, there's there's something in them that's pushing them towards yes, and there's a barrier yet. Confidence. And he's going to push you for a number, a number, 50 percent. Well, it's not going to be forty something. I don't think. Well, you know, I, I'm, I'm still reluctant to put any kind of number on it. Uh, I, I, I would have to say that my, my least favourite outcome is, is fifty one forty nine in either direction. It, it does need a, a good margin if the losing side, whichever it is, is going to accept the legitimacy of the outcome. That's really important. So. I have no doubt both sides will be telling you with, with absolute confidence that they're 100% convinced they're going to win. Well, I, I genuinely think it's still an open question. There we are. I, the news for you. Patrick Harvey gives a politician's answer, which is news. <laughs> his news, And also it gives a whole new meaning to Patrick Harvey in your dreams. <laughs> Patrick, thank you very much for joining us. Really appreciate your time. Hold on a second and we'll come back with some analysis. So, Patrick's left us, Andy. What do you think? Um, yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was interesting. I like Patrick. He's a very thoughtful guy, and he's doing a good job in this campaign. Um, he's, cer- he's certainly one of the performers. He is. He's going he to come is. out of this with his stock higher than it was when he went in. Yes, no he might have, He's almost known more than his party's known. Actually, I thought one one thing that was interesting is that it's pretty obvious that there's a been a healthy debate inside the Yes Scotland movement, which has not been. Uh, not been drowned out, but has been steamrolled really by uh, the SNP, which is understandable. If you've got all the money and you've got all the seats, then obviously your policy is going to form the policy of the of the movement. But um, it's obvious that you know those on the outskirts of the movement, if you want to call them that, are probably quite frustrated with aspects of it, especially the more corporatist aspects of it, like corporation tax and so on. Yeah, there's there's he's on, you know there's clearly, I think, frustration coming through as we move into the latter phases of the campaign that to a degree the the anti-corporatist movement which which certainly the Greens would have liked to have formed part of the Yes Scotland narrative has been drowned out you know all the talk of corporation tax 
um, decided in Hollywood is all about reducing corporation tax, not increasing it, and clearly that is um, a point of difference between Yes Scotland uh, participants. Maybe, the, maybe both the SNP, on reflection afterwards, maybe, maybe the SNP and the Greens and SSP might look back and wonder what things might have been like if Yes Scotland hadn't been formed and if they all just ran their own campaigns. Because it's obvious that some of the fringe parties and movements are a bit of an annoyance to the SNP. And at the same time, probably those same fringe movements, which have produced some of the most radical and interesting stuff, have probably felt the SNP have drowned them out and held them back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. But no, it, 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 an interesting guy. I mean, I think I think he is. I think he's right. Although we, we failed once again to get a number from. I think he's right. I think we'll just give that up. Shall we? <laughs> I think he's right in anticipating that this is going to be um, a close result either way. Um, I think I sense from him though a frustration that what we're we're getting further away from rather than closer to at the end of the campaign is explanation and and um, discourse on the relative merits of the vision on either side and we're getting into he said she said stuff which is at the, at the end of the day not really helping the undecided voter of whom there are still plenty to wait for in the last few weeks of the campaign. Well that'll be all for today from Asti Cafe in Broughton uh, Street in Edinburgh uh, and uh, we'll be back next week folks with a unionist coming to a microphone in a cafe near you. See you later. See you.